alive first has been disqualified after the objection country house wins the kentucky derby the one horse stabbed the other one did you see that it was spectacular how he holds onto a knife with a hoof i don't get it but it was brutal it was won the popular Thrones, vote man. but lost the race i did just nothing's right anymore everything's ruined it's like game of saddles out there How'd you like to be a gambler? You just won like a million dollars and you called your boss and you quit, you know, right at that moment. <laughs> Told no. him F you. Yeah. <laughs> and your wife's ugly. That's right. And your kids are pig faced. And then then they change the result. You're right, Michael. That would be vexing. <laughs> It'd be like Ray ain't on your wedding day. Right. Ironic. Okay, so this uh, I found this interesting. <laughs> Standing against psychiatry's crazes. Dr. Paul McHugh of Johns Hopkins. Uh, he's 87 years old now. He's very old. And uh, Joe Biden old. He's, well, he's even older than that. A professor at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and a tenacious skeptic of the crazes that periodically overtake his specialty, Dr. McHugh has often served as psychiatry's most outspoken critic. He's either crazy or all the other psychiatrists are. The best known and the most controversial decision of his professional life is now relevant and was recently re- reversed. In 1979, as the chief psychiatrist at Johns Hopkins Hospital, he shut down the gender identity clinic, which performed the sex change operations. In his view, the hospital had wasted scientific and technical resources and damaged our professional credibility by collaborating with madness rather than trying to study, cure, and ultimately prevent it, he wrote in 2004. That's out of step with uh, today's views, obviously. Mm-hmm. In 2017, the clinic was reopened as the Center for Transgender Health, performing what it now calls gender-affirming surgeries. Its medical office coordinator uh, said they the demand for that is massive. Um, Dr. McHugh is uh, out of touch with his profession. He says he's been there before. He's not that worried about it. But he talks about how the... Um, the political correctness, because it became politically correct to believe in the whole transgender thing, that any studies against it are dismissed or or just not looked at. They just nobody pays any attention to them. Right. And right. he says that a lot of the studies that affirm the information about the whole transgender thing, he says, are deeply flawed and aren't looked at critically. Mm. Now, that's his view. I don't actually know. Um. And I don't think the point of this article really is to even get into the whole transgender thing. It's just to get into the idea that there is clearly a powerful push at universities to go with whatever the politically correct direction is at the time. Sure. With the science of it. Yep. And that's the way you get the funding. Dr. McHugh believes psychiatrists' first order of business ought to be to determine whether a mental disorder is generated by something the patient has, a disease in the brain, something the patient is, extroverted or cognitively subnormal, something the patient is doing, behavior such as starvation, or something the patient has encountered, traumatic or otherwise disorienting experience. He said that practitioners too often practice what he calls DSM checklist psychiatry, matching up symptoms from the DSM, that's the book that everybody goes to to try to figure out what's wrong with you, rather than inquiring deeply into the sources and nature of the affliction. I came into psychiatry with the perception that it had not matured as a clinical science in which rational practices are directed by information on the causes and mechanisms of disorders. Every other medical discipline has that, but not psychiatry for some reason. Psychiatry has fallen under the sway of dizzying number of crazes over the years. 
Um, and, you know, if you saw one flew over the cuckoo's nest, that'd be an example of it, mm-hmm. whether it's shocking people or whatever it is. He talks about the um, recovered memory craze of the 1980s. He was the psychiatrist that went around the country and testified at a whole bunch of trials that it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a load of crap. A lot of it is just a load of crap. And the information was put into people's heads by the investigator, by a, a therapist, by whoever, and that that wasn't really a thing. You know, it's funny. It reminds me of the idea that little kids decide I'm a girl. And then their politically correct parents rush to reaffirm that and encourage that and the rest of it. Just because a thought enters your head, like, I might have been molested, doesn't mean it's so. I don't know if you've noticed, your head can think of a lot of things that aren't real. It's kind of fun sometimes. This guy uh, thinks we've gone too far with the whole PTSD diagnosis. Um he says that studies of the Israel Defense Forces veterans who experience plenty of trauma, they somehow manage to get over it, dealing with it more like grief, like you've gone through a bad period, um, but you're okay and you're going to get over it, rather than we treat it as something that's never going to go away, a wound that will never go away. Well, Again, I'm not making an argument. I'm just telling you what he says. Yeah, that's interesting. Dave Grossman, in his fabulous book on killing, addresses that question. It has to do with community and 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 what you come home to, and how you work through it. So, well, that might fit in with this. What Doctor McHugh, McHugh is talking about mm-hmm. here, it's it's how we're handling it as a society rather than what has actually happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me get to real quick because we got a guest coming up. Some more on the whole trans. Uh, What's the actual term that people use? Uh, transmorphic? Gender dysmorphia? Gender dysmorphia, yeah, exactly. Um, I'll tell you this while you're looking for that. I've actually known people who are unhappy because their brain doesn't work quite right. Um, and they latch on to one idea after another for what will straighten them out and make them happy people. And I say this with a great deal of sympathy. Um, and at some point, some of them think, wait a minute, I'm actually a man trapped. Yes, if I can correct that, then I will be happy and at peace. That gets to it right here. As the department head at Johns Hopkins, Dr. McHugh encouraged a colleague to conduct follow-up research on patients who had undergone sex change operation. The results disturbed him. Although most of the patients were reasonably satisfied with the change, they hadn't any improvement in any of their psych- psychosocial issues that were the whole reason for doing it in the first place. Worse, some of the patients became suicidal and depressed and regretful. There was not enough good evidence to determine before the fact which candidates for surgery would fall into either group. With no way to predict which patients would be hurt by the operations, Dr. McHugh decided he could not allow them to continue. He says shuttering the clinic was a matter of adhering to the Hippocratic Oath and the scientific obligation to ground conclusions in empirical evidence. Everybody should agree that sex reassignment surgery is an experiment right now. We're doing an experiment. We have lots of publications that are telling us that the evidence base for these treatments is very low quality. There are not enough subjects, not enough good results, not enough anything, not enough comparisons that would make it evidence base. He believes that John Hopkins Clinics reopened the the uh, the transgender unit. It was motivated by economic and political factors, not scientific evidence. The complicated operations are big money makers for the hospitals. That the new department's name uses the politically correct designation transgender, not the clinical term gender dysphoria, and refers to the surgeries as gender affirming, seems to support the view that the doctors have formally embraced tri- transgender ideology despite the science. Mm. 
That's the Wall Street Journal. He does not believe that the surgery cures gender dysphoria. He thinks that the condition, along with anorexia and body dysmorphia, is a disorder of assumption, an overvalued idea uh, that fulminates in the mind of the subject, growing more and more dominant over time, more refined and more resistant to challenge. He talks about all the... uh, uh, You come up with an idea, it's reaffirmed in your own head and by others, and how it grows that way. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not arguing that he's right or wrong, but here's a guy at the top of his profession at one of the major universities in the the world who, you know, has a different view and says you can't... You're not allowed to have that view. Right, right. That's scary. It is scary. You know, there are things that it's perfectly appropriate to accept and to think, okay, that's that's a thing and all. But what I see from a lot of progressive friends, and actually relatives of mine too, is that they have an, uh, an enthusiasm for it. It's like if they hear a seven-year-old is a, a girl but wants to be a boy, they don't say, wow, okay, this is something we have to deal with, all right. No, they get wildly enthusiastic that it happened, which is an odd response. I just want to read the last paragraph from this article in the Wall Street Journal. The possibility that Dr. McHugh is wrong doesn't trouble him. Either the plastic surgeons and the transgender psychiatrists are right, and I'm wrong, and if that's the case, they will have done a lot of good by opposing me, and I will have been a drag on the system, or the opposite. Suppose they're wrong and I'm right. They will have mutilated thousands of children, and I will look good. Who do you think is sleeping better at night? That was his final thought on the thing. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. believe in the Kentucky Derby anymore. What can you believe in? Amen to that. Huh? Used to be the horse that finished first was the winner. Exactly. Now, no. No. Nothing ups, downs. Down. Politics. Or the one horse jostled the other one. Who knows how horse racing. We all become experts <laughs> in these things for about five right. minutes and then move on with our lives. Drew Harwell is an actual recognized authority on various things uh, technological. He covers technology and artificial intelligence for the Washington Post and joins us now to talk about the coming facial recognition wave across America. Hey, Drew, how are you? Hey, guys. Good. How are you? Good. That was an extremely wordy introduction, but I think I pulled it off. (laughs) Um, So, listen, uh, I I think a lot of us have followed some of the documentaries about facial recognition in China, and it's it's pretty cool in a weird way, but pretty scary. Uh, What's the newest on facial recognition in uh, the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, you're seeing it everywhere. You're seeing it in um, uh, schools and, and companies. And, you know, it's still sort of rare, but it's it's increasing pretty quickly. And um, the big sort of new front is for police departments and sheriff's office where they are allowing sort of deputies and investigators to use it to identify people that they meet out on out on the streets and in the field and in and their way maybe lead to new arrests and uh, new investigations. How would that work exactly in practicality? So, you know, if somebody shoplifts out of a store, they're often caught on security or surveillance cameras. The the people who call the police, they sort of have the footage, but they don't have any quick way to identify the people. So 
now these deputies can just sort of take that image, run it through their facial recognition oh, right. system, which scans all of their sort of jail mugshots and, you know, okay. in their so, sort of find a Sure. So instead of saying it was a guy, he's, I don't know, he's about six foot tall, probably weighed 180 pounds. Well, they just they just do the facial, rec- facial recognition thing and say, yeah, it's Jimmy Smith. He lives over here and you go get him. Well, yeah, does exactly. it have to be somebody who's been in the system? Yeah, that's right. So okay. it's 300,000 photos right now, and it's everybody who's been sort of arrested. We'll all be in the system before you know it. We'll all be in the system before you know it, if we aren't already. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, we have to think that there are, you know, the DMV has photos on all of us. There are passport photos. So these databases are out there. They're just not yet connected to those systems. But, you know, the question is, could they ever be, and and could we ever be identified like that? Yes and yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah right. you know, uh, there's a fine line between uh, aware and and paranoid, but uh, you know there, and we reference this on the show semi regularly, Drew, that there are so many federal crimes nobody even knows how to count them, uh, including the regulations you can violate, which end you up in jail and the rest of it. And I could see a push made that if you get a parking ticket, if you have an overdue library book, if you do anything, you step out of line. We just uh, we're going to take your picture. That's it, and you get entered into the system, and then everybody's in the system. Yeah, and that's not really science fiction anymore. I mean, that uh, a way a part of that happens in China right now, where they have sort of facial recognition cameras set up at intersections. If people jaywalk, it sort of takes a picture of them. It has their identity, and then they they're named and shamed effectively their their pictures and identities are put up in these like public squares as sort of like you know moments of embarrassment so that's not happening here obviously but that's just a sign of you know how this technology could be used i mean it's 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 a way that deputies and police could identify any of us um without us really knowing or consenting and so there's all sorts of questions of privacy and and whether we really want that that future ahead of us how good is it right now the technology on facial recognition is it pretty accurate most of the time? It, it all depends on the quality of the image and w- w- the images they're looking at, like their database of, of facial images, right? So like there, if I shave, a, if all of a sudden, mm-hmm. does it not work? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a good question. It, it really, I mean, it, yes, it can still work in that. And, and a lot of the deputies will say like, oh, well, you know, if, even if somebody puts on glasses or they, they grow out a beard, you know, this can still tell. I, I mean, it really depends on, on how good the image is. And, you know, a lot of these surveillance photos are taken from in the ceilings at weird angles. So those tend to be less accurate. Um, and, you know, they're, they're taken in the dark or by, you know, crappy smartphones. So it, it all depends. But, you know, in, in this scenario, um, anything less than perfect accuracy is going to lead to deputies potentially arresting the wrong bad sure. guy. Right? I'm horrified by all this, but the, the upsides, you know, for the things for good, if we could do away with keys, more or less, I'd be happy that you could walk into your building where you work with your face or your house or start your car with your face. You just don't need keys. That, that'd that be awesome. Drew Harwell yeah, covers yeah. Uh, technology for the Washington Post and is on the line. Yeah, that, that would be kind of cool, and I think we're moving in that direction. Hey, one thing you mentioned in your piece, which is that quite... That can't be you. You were too fat. You didn't used to be this fat. <laughs> no, that I've must be let, somebody different. No, I've let myself go. No, I've been sorry. eating a lot lately. Uh, one thing in your piece that we'll have a link to so folks can find it easily is that uh, they've actually... Um, run artist sketches through the software. Mm-hmm. You're, yeah, and that's not a way to that, see if that, that looks like anybody. Yeah, and I mean, you have to wonder: is that really going to give you good results? Like, you know, the system is designed to compare one photo to the other. When you start getting into artist sketches, it it all depends on 
how was the how was the artist feeling that day and how good was the drawing right and and so you know that's going to up the the danger of it being a misidentification so all these people are saying we really shouldn't be using it in that in that way but you know amazon for their point says whatever i mean this is a tool for the deputies they get to decide it's it's, uh, it's all human judgment at the end of the day because they get to look at the photos and the matches that the system shows up and get to choose but uh, you know i think there's a question of whether hey is this system being used for for too much is there is there mission creep here where we're now just sort of throwing yep. photos into the search yes. because, because it's easy Absolutely. drew arwell covers tech for the washington post Drew, really interesting stuff again we'll have a link to your piece thanks very much for the uh, conversation thank you yeah there's no stopping any of this all our information unless we fight for our, our rights dna our faces everything's going to be everywhere all the time the government will track everything we do all the time that is absolutely going to happen in my lifetime Ooh, chilling what's coming up in your news marshall phillips well president trump's former lawyer michael cohen one last verbal blast before checking into jail says who got a startling admission from boeing about its max jets and yet another organ gets droned another Organ? Organ. Oh, like for an organ transplant. What, what is with the fascination with drones? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so, if you can work a drone into it, it makes the news. Wake me when the novelty is worn off. News next. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Available right now via the iHeart app and iTunes. Our two new podcasts. Armstrong and Getty, one more thing. That's our daily after show podcast. And Armstrong and Getty Extra Large featuring our interviews of the most interesting people in the world. Subscribe today via the iHeart app or iTunes. Or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Because we're stupid. Ladies and germs, it's Marshall Phillip. We are news. President Trump. Phillips, it's plural, right? Yes, it is. There's more than one of you. Yes. Marshall Phillips. Hopkins. (laughs) President Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, went to jail. Says says who? Went to jail today. Says 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 the prison. They admitted you this morning. Says who? The prison does. Okay. He's going to be serving his sentence. Now, Cohen's departing comments included. I hope that when I rejoin my family and friends, that the country will be in a place without xenophobia, injustice, and lies at the helm of our country. Yeah, I buy a pony. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Now, but listen to him trying to uh, make himself some sort of martyr for peace, love, and understanding. You're a tax cheat. (laughs) He is going to be serving a (laughs) three-year sentence. For tax evasion, lying to com- uh, Congress, and campaign finance crimes. Cohen promising. There still remains much to be told. And I look forward to the day that I can share the truth. Quick clarification, Marshall, because yes. a phrase in there bothered me a little. And I wouldn't even thought of it except for a big blazing headline I saw this morning that Michael Cohen went to jail for his role in the hush money scam. Says who? <laughs> I just told you the headline. Okay. So uh, nobody ever goes to jail for tiny little campaign finance offenses. Nobody ever goes to jail for that. He went to jail because he had a list of financial crimes behind him. The Says media who? made a big deal about the... <laughs> it gets funnier, then it gets less funny, then it gets even funnier. Um <laughs> 
The media made a big deal about the Stormy Daniels thing just because they're desperate for it to be about Trump and politics. The guy's a crook. Meanwhile, President Trump is warning he may slap additional 25% tariffs on even more Chinese imports by this Friday because of the ongoing trade disputes. Early on, the markets took a big hit. Now, positive, Sean. This matters to no one. This next 30 seconds, the previous 30 seconds and the next 30 seconds have zero effect on your life whatsoever. Go ahead. Positive Sean tracking the indices for us for his one-word market update. The market is stabilizing. There you go. market's stabilizing. It was plunging earlier. Now things are fine. It's getting better. It'll be fine. Um, (laughs) It's funny. I came across just over the weekend because we set a whole bunch of records economically Mm -hmm. last week. There was an article about uh, quoting various economists in their doom and gloom when Trump was elected, the market tanking and where we would be. Oh, that had to be fun. None of them predicting, of course, that we would have record high markets of every kind, record low unemployment of every kind. Fantastic economic growth. Right. Right. Boeing says they knew a warning indicator wasn't working on many of the Boeing 737 MAX planes months before one crashed last October. The alert was supposed to warn pilots when there was disagreement between two sensors that measured the angle the plane is pointing. The company initially said they thought a down, warning... Down. Down is the direction it was pointing. Yeah. The company initially thought a warning light for the sensors was standard on its 737 MAX planes, but later found out that it was only activated if companies bought an optional indicator. Uh, point of order, how does Boeing not know what's standard on Boeing airplanes? <laughs> if they don't, who does? You have to order the uh, don't explode version of the car, the yeah. one where the gas tank's not ex- next to the motor. And- we got a couple of emails on that at the time that I still have somewhere, but they made it clear when you order a plane, you get the wings and and the wheels and the steering wheel. Everything else is an add-on. That's a bit of an exaggeration. You wanted brakes on that car? Well, you got should have said so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So some of these third world airliners, absolutely. Right. Uh, airlines, rather, absolutely order a stripped-down version that doesn't have some of the fancy gizmos That's kind of interesting. So you can't buy a car without a lot of the safety right. stuff that exists now. They they make it mandatory, but not for a plane that I fly in. Mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to get the car that doesn't have the anti-lock brakes and doesn't have the driver's side airbag and all that sort of stuff. Right. That's government-mandated. But the yeah. plane I'm flying in, maybe they bought it, maybe they didn't. Well, I think that's partly because cars crash all the time and planes almost never so, you know, they, they got wings. They got wings and flaps. They go up, they go down. Generally, they go down softly. Hmm, but I'm, I'm just thinking it through. Uh, if I could save thousands of dollars, why am I not allowed to buy a car that doesn't have airbags and doesn't have analog brakes and a variety of things? I think the, you, the problem with your metaphor is how much effect they have. Because I think, like, the first 98% of plane safety is required, I'm guessing, um, especially in the U.S., and maybe that it's two percent that we're talking, arguing over. Just from a libertarian standpoint, though, why can't I buy a car that doesn't have some of those safety features that's only going to affect me and my family? Well, depends which feature you're talking about. Airbags, you're right. Anti-lock brakes, not so much. Oh. So because that's a danger to the other drivers that you would get in a wreck right. with. Sure. Okay. Yeah. 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 It is already being able to stop your car is absolutely about other people as much as it is about you. It has already been done successfully in Baltimore, and it could be happening in Mississippi and other states very, very soon, and that is using drones to help speed up organ transplants. 
The Mississippi-Oregon Recovery Agency said it is looking into the possibility. They say using chartered aircraft to transport donated organs is expensive, and the cost of one flight could pay for the type of long-distance drone they would need. So the question here, flights. the question here is Joe brought up: Why is it anything that includes a drone makes it to the news? <laughs> it's an industry disruptor in ways that we can't comprehend. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's a tiny Sean. little aircraft, so it can fly through the air, but it's cheaper. Right. When people were initially flying drones to get cool aerial views of fireworks shows from right. inside the fireworks, there wasn't really a oh, and then one day this will make organ donations and transportation much safer, cheaper, and and repeatable. Right. And faster. My Go- only question is, what's the batting average getting my liver to me? I mean, if a drone's going to get it here as often as a helicopter, a real helicopter with a dude in it, then great, super. If it's like a 50-50 proposition, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> a pigeon bumped into it, so we right. got to bump you down on the list Sorry. again. It got out of range, and we don't know where it is. Battery died. <laughs> right. That's your news. Not Marshall Phillips. Yeah, I'm starting to get a show, The Conscience of the Nation. Any fecal, fecal matter on those drones, Marshall? <laughs> So I suppose we should have Sean do his 32nd game of review huh? recap. Game, game of, of Thrones, Thrones review. review okay. yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, Love that. that. I get to listen to it for the first time. Well, I used to listen to it because I didn't care. But since I've become a throny, I've had to put my fingers in my ears. You're a throny. But now I'm caught up. So you're completely caught up on all the seasons. Oh, yeah. oh I'm right there. Right there. And you watched it live last night. Practically bloodied myself, yes. <laughs> Just a feel it's a part of it. Last and week Judy stabbed me. Last, Stab me again, honey. Last week shows the most watched show in HBO history now. Mm. Um with the big battle. Yeah. Was it as dark as uh It was the- dark. It was dark. Judy rewatched it yesterday during the day and she had to keep moving the tv so it wasn't catching any reflections from any windows because you had to have it as dark as possible in the house to see what was happening That's i mean it wasn't to me it wasn't like uh, what's happening there but it was unusually dark but they spent all that money and time on this battle scene and they made it so dark well, it was a battle at night you gotta know. it's the middle ages <laughs> what, what are you going to turn on floodlights there? Are you going to make it look like Texas Stadium? What are you a, talking about? It was a battle at night yeah. in a blizzard. So the, the, the visual conditions were already at minimum. Right. Yeah. Right. Could have been anything. <laughs> at least there are no coffee cups on the set like there were in last night's episode. <laughs> like a plastic lidded coffee cup on the banquet table. So we've got. They retired from the battle. Little pick me up. So we've got the 32nd Game of Thrones review. Also, an update on a hero and somebody's name you should know. All coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Saturday Night Live doing her Elizabeth Warren impersonation. Do it now while it's relevant. (laughs) No kidding, and being interviewed. Do you think that your proposals are going to help set you apart from some of these other candidates? Yeah, I sure do hope so. Look, Colin, I mean, what a freaking clown car I found myself in, right? I'm over here working round the clock to give you free college, but oh, look in there, Beto O'Dork did parkour in a Starbucks. Wow! 
Whoops, I just figured out universal pre-K, but what's that over there? Mayor Pete Bajudget Judy Jutes playing piano and speaking fluent Klingon. Look, I know as a Democrat I'm not supposed to say this, but speak English. Frick! Wow. So she's handing out T-shirts at her uh, gatherings. I have a plan. She's really trying to run on the I have policies well written out by policy experts for this and that. Shut up. Nobody cares, man. Why don't you go (laughs) join? Who was the policy guy last? You you don't even remember his name. The guy from Louisiana. He was the policy guy that election. Young Bob Jindal. Yeah. Nobody cared. Yeah. Policy papers are not a thing anymore. <laughs> Beto O'Dork did parkour at a McDonald's or whatever. She's Starbucks. Hey, I'm watching the Today Show and J-Lo's performing. She's on her third outfit. Yeah. Three outfits for a Today Show appearance. How do you memorize all that choreography, too? Oh, I can't. I can't. Those, those people who do that. I, I failed me, at the Macarena. I can't imagine it. Take me a month to, to memorize one routine, let alone different Song after song, every TV show you're on. And they're small variations of each other. All right, here's where I kick out my foot and look angry. And then I whirl around and then throw my butt back and forth. Then the next time, you lead with the butt back and forth. Then you do the angry kick. And then, How do you keep them straight in your head? I can't imagine. Mm. I don't know. I just have no interest in that particular art form. But people seem to like it. Like you get your K-pop. Very popular. Are That's there- what it is. Are there too many white males in medieval studies? A major question roiling college campuses. Are there too many white males at uh, Renaissance fairs? The answer is well, clearly part yes. Of the, part of the question. Yeah. Really? Uh, who cares? Maybe we'll get to the, well, they care. I'll tell you who cares before we get to it. <laughs> who cares is medievalists of color, ah. which is a growing group. Ah. Uh, so stay tuned for that. MOCs. So last night was another episode of uh, Game of Thrones. You're a throny. Yeah, I am. So this is a recap of the episode. So now follow me. If you haven't seen it yet, you don't want to listen to it. Sorry, people with their, hey, you should have warned people that the recap would have spoilers. I haven't seen it yet, but it doesn't bother me. Well, right. I don't know anybody is. Okay, if you've seen it and you care. All right, there you go. There's your fine print. There he is, Positive Sean. He's wearing a kilt and a... Some leather he gets, armor. He only gets 30 seconds. Right. Hit it. Game of Thrones, Season 8, Episode 4, The Last of the Starks. We start off with remembering those who fought and fell, not to make it to see the light of another day. Dead, burned, and buried. Well, then it's time to party. Let the let the Dornish wine flow. Tormund Giants Bang <laughs> takes a swing and a miss. Gendry Baratheon, the new, newly named Lord of Storms in. And every lord needs a lady, but his lady says not today to his advances. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Remaining forces teleport to King's Landing to begin their siege uh, uh, and a less direct oh, Dang it. It, it didn't even get started. No, you're on great job. Man. <laughs> oh, she's playing for keeps. Dang it. She always does. 30 seconds worth. There you have it. That was brutal from Gendry, though. I mean, that was rough hey, to see. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I see what you're doing. I raised three kids. I know what's going on. <laughs> this is the perfect emblem of what's wrong with our times. Not positive, Sean. This story. The nurse who ran the London Marathon was going for the world record for running the London Marathon dressed as a nurse. Okay. And she beat the record, Jack. She beat it. But they said no because she was wearing scrubs and not, as the rules stipulate, 
a nurse's uniform that must include a blue or white dress, the a pinafore apron, and a traditional nurse's cap. The rules for who ran a marathon <laughs> the fastest dress of a nurse? Yes, apparently. Those rules. Right. And she called the rules outdated and said, I was quite taken aback when I read that they'd rejected me. Some of the worst is, uh, nurses I work with do wear dresses, but mostly we wear scrubs or a tunic. And all right, listen, you entered a contest where they say it's the fastest person to run dressed like a nurse, which is this. They could have said fastest person to dress like a dog, which includes a lion's head and high heels. The question isn't whether that's actually what dogs look like. Those are the rules of the contest you entered. The time to bitch about them is before, not after. Great Scott, number one dumbest record ever. Now, I guess the Guinness Book of World Records, oh, have how things have fallen. They used to have standards. You got to be super fat or super tall or... Long fingernails. That one always exactly. fascinated me. Yeah, very, very long fingernails. Running races dressed as an old-timey nurse. What kind of record is that? So we've got that controversy, and also maybe we'll get to our medieval studies programs too white. A group called the Medieval People of Color argues that I just I can't even finish. Are you down with MOCs? I can't even finish. I know, I know. Well, they're feeling left out. I mean, they're they're studying the plague and castles and sores and you know, hitching plows to donkeys and all sorts of medieval stuff. And they thought, you know, we're we never get in on the woke stuff over here. So now they are. So here's a good story. Uh, we wanted you to remember the name of Riley Howell. He's a 21 year old who ran at a shooter in North Carolina when one of those mass shootings was about to happen. And by tackling the guy, he died in the process, Riley Howell did, but he saved a whole bunch of lives, uh, almost certainly. We'll never know how many it could have been. You know, Well, even if he saved one, that's an incredible act of sacrifice and courage. He was in the ROTC program and had plans to go into the military when he got out of college, and then he wanted to be a firefighter. He is going to be buried with full military honors. Wow. Even though he was just in the ROTC, ROTC at the time. Mm. But the idea is know who this is and don't spend any time learning about the scumbag killers every time one of these shootings happens. I don't know the, I don't, I don't know the last several shooters' names. I don't know, and I'll never know them. Nope. Guy in New Zealand, don't know his name. Stupid, angry coward. That's his name. Yeah. Good to know the hero's name, though. I like that. I like that very much. So, front page of the USA Today, there is a theme emerging in uh, in today's show, and maybe just in America and Western society. Uh, USA Today cover story. Black artists say they've been overlooking upper underrepresentative arts, absent colors, art is too white. Art? Like, art, art is too white. Like You go to an art museum, almost, all the, and stuff? All, the, almost all the paintings are of white people, mm. by white people, and that is true. I don't know what you're going to do about it, but again, so you got this, you got the medieval studies thing, you got the, it's just, it's just a, I don't know, on one hand, you might say, well, it's about time. Finally, we're correcting this problem. Some of you might be saying, oh, come on. Well, right. I, I, I get, I, at least, at least you got an argument if, you know, if, if colleges were all white, they're not, but, or, or something like that, the workplace is all white and they're not allowing anybody else to work there. Okay. 
this I, other stuff, I don't know what you're going to do about it. I actually like art museums. I have never had the slightest idea what the artists look like, with the exception of probably half a dozen of them. But uh, most of the paintings are white people, no doubt about it. The yeah, the, if you go to your biggest art museums, it's almost all white people. Madonna and Baby. Well, right. There's like 800 of those. So are we talking about the artists or the, the, the subjects? All of it. All of it. All right, then. Too many paintings of white people by white people. Well, it's mostly European or European, heavily dominantly European origin countries that have art museums any of us are familiar with. And to have I'd imagine part of in the Nigeria problem. they have different art museums. They get to. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess the argument would be, why Why if I go to a, a big museum in New York, do I see mostly paintings from white people in France and Germany and England and all those places, and I'm not not seeing wings and wings full of paintings from African countries? Well, yeah, I think there's there's a racial discussion happening around an economic issue, right? That I, to have a painting done of yourself in the medieval times was a great luxury. Yeah. And it was something that was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a school photo, Right, this wasn't. There weren't paintings being made of every single family that was that was on the block. Yeah, well, and the U.S. was for a very long time an honorary European country because virtually everybody in it was European, except for a chunk of Africans who were imported against their will, and uh, some Chinese people who came over to to get work. So it's not that surprising. Mm. I'm not saying it's good Joe's or bad. Joe's excusing it's just not, okay. the whiteness. Right. Of, I can't even pretend to care about this. Of, <laughs> but it's the front page of the USA Today. Yes, that may be. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty.